Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We'll be continuing our study, walking through the letter to the Galatians. So Galatians 4, verses 12 through 20. Now, so far in this letter, Paul has been rather firm. And if you've been here over these last weeks, you know that full well. You probably felt that. Also, he has been passionately urging the Galatians not to abandon the gospel of grace. And so just to to remind you and to give you a taste of how passionate he is and and the the emphasis and the heart by which he runs throughout this letter, just look again at the words from chapter 1 in verse 6 through 9. Where he said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Amen. And so that kind of passionate tone just kind of pervades Galatians. Well, here in our passage this morning, we have something of a, a change of tone. You know, as one preacher kind of pondered these verses, he said it's like the common experience of parents. You know, I know we're not all parents here, but for you who are parents, and even if you are children, you know, here, you you know this as well in one degree or another. And there are times where we as parents, we must correct our children, and sometimes we have to correct them rather firmly, right? (laughs) And sometimes firmly, not abusively or meanly or anything like that, but appropriately, we are correcting them. And at times where they just, you know, go to the room crying. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, after a time, you know, we kind of consider and our children are considering these things. We go back to them and we go and make a similar appeal to as we did before. Except now we go back to them and we speak to them on more tender terms. Perhaps even sitting beside them, putting our arm around them, and just talking about these things. Well, this is what Paul is doing here in our passage this morning. Here he comes to the Galatians with a tender appeal. And so let's hear his tender appeal here, beginning with verse 12. May, God's, may God bless his word and may our hearts receive them, his words this morning. Amen. Brothers, I entreat you become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. 
And through my condition, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Now, if you have been trekking with us as we've walked through Galatians 1, chapter 1 through 4, up to this point, or if you have read Galatians before, it might be that you might be saying to yourself, oh, Paul, he's just, I mean, he's just all about arguing in very precise and logical ways. He just explains himself and explains and explains I mean, it's all logic, logic, logic. I mean, where is the heart? However, I will say that if that's kind of the way we've come away from Galatians 1 through 4, I think we make two mistakes with saying that. And the first is that mistaken assumption in the air today, among believers even, That logic is wrong. That thinking hard is wrong and even contrary to the work of the Spirit of God. It's all got to be subjective, experiential, instantaneous, unexplainable. Well, that is a mistaken assumption. We would do well to remember this very letter that we are we have been walking through over these months it is spirit given it is god breathed and so as paul is writing every single word as it's thought through very carefully as it's argued very diligently and logically it is inspired by god And even more, we have many passages that exhort us to use our minds and our thinking to to God's glory. So we just kind of need to lay that common kind of notion today aside. A second mistake would be to think that Paul's precision here is divorced from his heart, which kind of comes right alongside the last one, doesn't it? If it's logic and all that hard-thinking stuff, no heart. It's ought to be all subjective and mystical. His logic, his well-thought arguments, they are not divorced from his heart, but they are flowing from his concern and from his love. In fact, we've already seen this in this letter. 
We've seen his heart throughout this letter, and now he, here he turns to make a personal kind of tender appeal to them. And so he just kind of slows down, he stops everything, and he just has a heart-to-heart with the Galatians. That's right. And so there are two sides to Paul's appeal here. And the first here, this appeal, it arises from Paul's deep love for Christ. Paul's deep love for Christ. Jesus means everything to Paul. Everything. And I mean, we could just stop right there and ask, does he mean everything to you? Such it was that he said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. He loves Christ deeply. He treasures Christ more than anything or anyone else in this world. And so contrary to subjective kind of mystical streams of thinking, deep love for Christ does not stifle precise, careful thinking to the glory of God. It is the match, it is the flame that causes it to burn most brightly. So it is that we hear from the Word of God everywhere, think to the glory of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. So woe to us if we make this unbiblical kind of distinction where the Word does not. It was because of Paul's deep love for Christ and the gospel that he thought so deeply and he's arguing so precisely in all of these words here and his love for Christ It is evident here in several ways. And first, it is evident through his bodily weakness. Through his bodily weakness. And we see that in verse 13 here. And so when Paul, he first came to the Galatians, they received him with really arms wide open. You know, they happily received him. And so when Paul, he first preached the gospel to the Galatians... As he came, he had some sort of you know, bodily ailment or sickness there, as you see in verse 13. Now, as you're thinking through that, you know, I know there are many you know, students of the word here. And as we're thinking through this, I mean, what, you're probably asking, well, what was that? You know, what bodily ailment was this? Well, there are a variety of theories on what ailment this might have been. And some have said it, it might be epilepsy. epilepsy. You know, some have said it might have been malaria even as he traveled along. Or some have even said, you know, uh, some sort of eye disease. You know, because the Galatians, they wanted to gouge out their eyes and give them to him even. They would have been willing to do that. Well, in the end, you know, if we're just seeking to be faithful to the word of God, and if we're honest, there's really no way for us to ultimately know. It could have been one of those reasons. We just don't know. 
But what we do know is even in sickness and in bodily weakness, that did not deter Paul from preaching Christ. His love for Christ and his living for Christ, they were not conditioned upon a healthy body or a sick one. My life is his period. No conditions. If I suffer for him, I'm going to still live for him. If my body is healthy, I'm going to live. If I'm in a wheelchair, I'm going to live for Christ. And if you're here and you're thinking, well, that was one bodily kind of ailment. Well, Paul, he knew weakness. (laughs) He faced suffering in ways that many of us really will never encounter in our lives. And what did he say about his weakness? What did Rene read a moment ago from 2 Corinthians 12? Well, he said there, let's remember in verse 8 and 10 through 10 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He didn't like it. (laughs) He didn't like being sick or having a bodily ailment. And so he's crying out to God. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses. I mean you could just perhaps even hear him kind of tearing up over that like whatever comes. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. His bodily ailment, it was not a reason to cease living for Christ, but instead it empowered loving and living for Christ all the more. So are you sick today? Do you have a bodily ailment you may never get over? But consider what God is doing. Consider how God will use you in your weakness to declare Jesus Christ to the world. Because you're not living for that body, are you? You're to live for Christ. And so we see his love for Christ there. And then second we see his love for Christ is evident through the possibility of rejection. The possibility of rejection. And so we see this in multiple ways throughout verses 13 through 16. Now there was a real possibility that the Galatians could have just seen his ailment and they could have just said, you know, we are not listening to that guy. I mean, he is weak. I mean, what we're looking for is someone who's healthy, strong. And when we see someone like that, we know that God is behind that guy. Now, just a caveat here. I think that's kind of the way we can think in our day, too, as we see a preacher or someone else come up and they look just fine. Well, I can listen to that guy. 
But what about the other guy who has tattoos? The other guy who's not wearing a suit? Oh, I'm not listening to that guy. The same idea. They said, they didn't say, you know, they could have said he's weak and he might get us sick or even be an agent of demonic attack. Maybe he's, you know, demon-possessed. And this is why it says there in verse 14, this is why he says it was a trial or literally a temptation to the Galatians. Now, as we see here, they didn't do that. They didn't despise or literally spit at him to get him away. You know, like, oh, you're sick. You know, get away from me. You know, that's kind of, that's actually the actual word there is spit. (laughs) They didn't despise or spit at him to get him away. They didn't do that. Yet note that Paul was willing, though, wasn't he? He was willing to be despised and rejected for Christ. He was willing to be rejected for telling them the truth. They had received him. And they did that with open arms. But now he is setting before them this letter that is direct, it is firm, and he is setting it before them willing to be rejected for Christ's sake. And so he asks them in verse 16, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? His love for Christ was greater. He was willing to be rejected for Christ's sake. And rather than kind of detaching ourselves from all of this, we need to see our own call then to love and live for Christ even in affliction. To love and live for Christ even in affliction. Jesus did not promise you an affliction-free life. He didn't say, all right, I want you to wait to live for me until you have everything that you need, until you're healthy, until you have a job, until you get the education, until you get married, until you have a family, and then you need to start living for me after that. He's not saying that. He didn't say, okay, everybody, you can wait until COVID's over. After it's done, then you can live for me again. He didn't say that. He doesn't say that. He calls you to follow Him now. He calls every single believer to serve Him now. And so, of course, we need to ask ourselves, am I following Christ now? Am I serving Christ now? Are you? Are you? And so we see our call then to love and live for Christ, even in affliction. And then second, we see our call to love and live for Christ, even in rejection. Even in rejection. The scriptures are not lacking here. (laughs) You want examples of rejection? You can find them everywhere (laughs) in scripture. In fact, you want to find people who are rejected? Well, just look at the people of God. I mean, this is, this is what's going to happen. I mean, right off the bat after the fall, what happens to Abel? 
Cain, you know. He kills him. <laughs> Indicative of all of history for those who know God. So examples abound. I think often of the prophets and prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Can you imagine their ministry? They went in preaching, knowing that people were going to reject their message. I think Jeremiah only had two converts. <laughs> I mean, but you're... I mean, how is that? You know, like, is that, that's what God calls you to do. All right, I'm going to call you to go to America, to Africa, to China. No one's going to listen to you at all. What will you do? What, what is driving you? Is it pleasing others? Is it the American dream? Is it my stuff? Is it my house? Is it my car? Is it my job? Is it my money? Is it my children? Is it my family? What is it? Well, I'm not doing that. No one's going to listen to me. I'm not preaching anything. Find someone else. Well, they were faithful. Jeremiah and Isaiah were faithful. Why? Because they loved God. God was their portion. He was their prize. He was the one they're living for. And beyond the biblical examples, we have many outside of there as well. The Scottish reformer Patrick Hamilton, 1500s, he was willing to preach Christ in Scotland and be rejected unto death even at the young age of 24. What? Are you going to live for Christ and, and lose your life at a young age? I'm not doing that. I want to live until I'm in 70 or 80. Well, why in the world would he preach Christ and be willing to die for Christ in the gospel at the age of 24? Because he loved Christ. Because he loved Christ. And after he was burned for preaching Christ, it was said to his persecutors, if you are going to burn anymore, you had better do it in a cellar, for the smoke of Hamilton's burning has opened the eyes of hundreds. And it did. People everywhere began coming to faith in Christ. Have you heard about Hamilton, Patrick Hamilton, and what he did? He loved Christ more than his life. So what if, what if we said, I will? What if we just said, Lord, I will. Whatever. I will do it. I will do whatever you call me to do. I will love and live for Christ even if I am rejected. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, I need to go to the mission field and do this. Well, that's not often what it looks like. What it will look like is loving and living for Christ where you are. Will you share Christ like Patrick Hamilton in your neighborhood? Whoa, now that is too far. 
Right? I mean, that's the way we feel. I'm not going to do that. It's too risky. Or my job. Well, friends, what if we just said, I will, Lord. I'll do it. I'll do it. Friends, let your love for Christ fly. Let it go out. Tell the world. Tell your neighbors. Tell your coworkers. Or even if a brother or sister has fallen. This is perhaps a way we don't think of this, but if some brother or sister has fallen into some grave error or sin, do what Paul does here and tell them also. Do what Paul did and speak the truth in love. That's what love for Christ does as well. It lives for Christ. It loves Christ. It tells people the truth. It preaches the gospel. Why? Because you love Christ. But there's another reason. So in the same vein, it isn't just Paul's love for Christ that we see here. It is also most certainly Paul's deep love for them, for the Galatians. So the two are not divorced. If you know what I mean, love for Christ and love for others go together. And it is essential, which is kind of scary today, honestly. You look out over the church, you look out over Twitter, you look over Instagram and Facebook, and this is not what believers are doing. Believers are doing. Oh, I love God! But I'm going to hate you so much. I'm going to divide this church. I'm going to do anything and everything to get my way. That's not love for God. That's not love for God. It's not love for Christ. And if you... If you want to test it, well, just listen to these words of John from 1 John. He says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So you see, they go together. You can't say you love God if you're not loving others. And so his love for the Galatians is evident. And it's evident here also in a number of ways. And the first is that his love for them is evident through his fervent appeal or his tender appeal. See that in verses 12 through 14. And so the tone really of this whole passage shows this though. But we especially see it in those verses. He says in verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. He is imploring them. He is reminding them, and he's saying, you remember? You remember how you received me? I mean, what a heart you had for me then. I mean, it was incredible. I was amazed. You were willing to give up anything, gouge out your eye, 
or anything. You even receive me as an angel and even as Christ Jesus himself. And interestingly here, I find it interesting. So in verse 12, we have the first command of Galatians. (laughs) This whole time, four chapters go by, and now we have the first imperative. The first command. And he says in verse 12, become as I am. That's his appeal. Now, in hearing that, Paul, he is not saying become like him as though Christ is beneath him. He's not saying that. He's not saying, oh yeah, Christ is great, but I'm greater. He's not saying that at all. What he's doing is he's emphasizing the theme of this entire letter. He's saying, in Christ there is freedom and life in him, and I have that, and I want you to have that like me. That's what I mean by become like me. And we see something of this in Acts. So in Acts chapter 26, 28 through 29, Paul, he is there giving his defense before King Agrippa. And he's telling him his testimony and he's seeking to win Agrippa to Christ even. So how would you, like you're there before President Biden and while you're talking on TV, you start sharing the gospel with him and trying to win him to Christ. Well, that's what he was doing with King Agrippa. And so it says there in Acts 26 and 28, it says, And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Well, that's what Paul means here. Become as I am. I want you, King Agrippa, to come to know Christ except for the things that enslave me, like chains. Become as he is. Life in Christ except for those chains. And the chains in Galatians are the Judaizers. He's saying, you don't want them. You don't need law plus circumcision plus Jesus to be saved. You don't need to work. You don't need to earn this salvation. You don't need legalism. Christ is enough. Become like me, free in Christ. As he became like them, now that might be confusing, but he's just simply saying, become like them, like Gentiles, free from the law. And so that's his appeal in this passage. Live free in Christ and don't add to the law. And so we see his love is evident there for them. We also see it as evident in his fending off of enemies. His fending off of enemies. So Paul, as we said before, he is down in the trenches and he is waging war for the Galatians and for their souls. I mean, what he can gain from this is rejection. <laughs> and so he, he is simply, he is doing everything he can to get them to hear the truth. And it's not just logic for logic's sake. It is a display of his love for them. 
And that is not the aim of the Judaizers, is it? So let's see what they're after in verse 17. It says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. They're not after the Galatians and their eternal good, ultimately. They just want their own kingdom expanded. They just want themselves to be lifted up. They're not about the kingdom of Christ. And so Paul, he goes right in the midst of these guys. And he says, I'm going to fight for you, Galatians. I'm going to fend these guys off for the glory of God. Because I love Christ and I love you. And so we see it there. And then we see his love for them is evident also in his anguish over the Galatians. His anguish over the Galatians. So it says there in verse 19, he says, My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He longed that Christ would be formed in them. He wasn't ultimately after Paul, after Paul's exaltation, after Paul's kingdom. He wanted Christ to be formed in them. He wanted the kingdom of Christ to go out everywhere and anywhere. And so friends, let's do as Paul does here and love others for God's glory and their good. A key characteristic of pretenders and modern Judaizers today is their ultimate goal is not the exaltation of Christ. It is not the good of others. It's not freedom in Christ, but it is the exaltation of themselves. It is the exaltation and advancement of their plans, of their agendas, of their kingdom. And they only want you so they can have more followers. And they're everywhere. Paul was after drawing people to Christ and not himself. So let me ask then, what are we doing? What are you doing? Are we mainly aiming at our advancement? Or are we aiming at his? Yeah, we have all these things going on. But what kingdom are you living for? You know, whose kingdom are you seeking to advance in your life? If someone looked at your life, would they be able to say, oh yeah, that person loves Jesus Christ. They're not about themselves. They're about him. Would they be able to do that? Are we great servants of ourselves? Well, if so, Christ and others won't be on the radar for us. Service won't be on the radar for us because it's, it's not about others. It's about us, our time, our schedule, our kingdom, our plans. So what is behind what we are doing or not doing? 
may we love God and others truly and love and serve zealously for his namesake, pointing all people to Christ. May that be our hearts. Lord, help that be our hearts today. So we need to do that. And then next, be careful that you listen to the word. Listen to the word. It might be that someday, I mean, right now things are fine, but someday maybe a brother or sister or maybe I come to you and share God's word with you in love. Maybe it is that you have succumbed to some sin in your life or even a false gospel. Well, let me ask you then, what will you say to that person then? How are you preparing yourself now for if that ever happens? God forbid. Will they come away from a conversation with you saying, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I've experienced that. I've had to tell people the truth. And they're gone. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? So maybe the word today is that for you. Maybe it has exposed something right now in your life or in your heart or in your family or something you're doing. And right now you're like, no, <laughs> no, I am not doing that. It may be God's word at all, but no. Friend, this is a word for you and for your good and for God's glory. You need to turn back to him. You need to put away that sin that enslaves and entangles and will kill you. Remember what we sung a moment ago. What did you pray before we, before we went into the word? What did you ask God to do? Speak, O oh Lord. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise and cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. You prayed that a minute ago. So I plead with you if you're here and you are that person who is saying no, you ask God to show you these things this morning. So who will you listen to? You know, I think of I think of King David. How did David respond when he was confronted with his sin? Do you remember? So in 2 Samuel, you know, 12, you know, he, he was confronted because of his sin with Bathsheba and murdering Uriah, her husband. I mean, you, you want to talk about great sins. Have you done that? <laughs> wow, and you're a king? You're like, you're president of the United States? You just committed adultery and murdered the person's husband? Wow. 
Well, how did he respond? Upon hearing the word of the Lord, this is what he said. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And he repented. So may we listen to the word of God today. May our hearts be, as I prayed a moment ago, be soft, be humble, and be malleable before the word of the Lord. Just ask yourself, is it? Is it soft? Because a soft heart is indicative of the work of the Spirit of God, and a hard heart is indicative of the flesh. So you can know the difference right now. Which is yours? Do you feel it? Hard? Or is it just, I will? I will, Lord. Whatever. I will. I'll repent. And so Paul, he exhorts, become as I am. He's calling you to be free in Christ this morning. Maybe you're here and you don't, you don't even know him this morning. You don't know who Jesus is. Maybe all this is just like, what are you talking about? You know, well, maybe perhaps today you've seen that you need this person called Christ, and I would love to talk to you more about what it means to know Jesus Christ and to have salvation through him. You saw it just a moment ago, what happens to someone, how God can change a heart, a life forever. That's what believer's baptism is doing. It's saying, my life is his, completely dead, I'm dead, And now I'm alive. My life belongs to Christ. Risen up out of the water because I'm his. Well, I pray that you would come to faith in Christ this morning if you don't know him. God, he is calling you this morning to turn from sin and self and to put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you're hearing something else. Maybe you've, you've let affliction... And rejection hinder you from loving and living for Christ. You said, I won't do that because I've got this problem with my body. Or I'm afraid. I I think they're going to reject me. And so maybe it's that. Or maybe you found your love for others is lacking. I want to encourage all of us here. Listen the word of God this morning. Do as you prayed in song before the Lord a moment ago. And may we become like Paul. And so as I pray here, I want you and all of us to simply bring these things before the Lord this morning. I don't know what it may be for you, but just come before him and say, I will. I will love Christ. Affliction, rejection, whatever. I will love others. And I will love them and speak the truth even if they reject me. Why? Because I love Christ and I love them. Or maybe you need to put your faith in Christ today or join Haven Baptist Church, or maybe you need to be baptized. As we pray, consider yourself this morning.